0: And Lord, we thank you so much that we have come here today for no other reason than to worship you, to lift up your name, that sweet name of Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Sweetest name I know. God, you do fill our every longing. And you keep us singing as we go. And so today as we open up your word, as we look into the truth of your word, I pray that it will penetrate our heart and not only penetrate our heart, but I pray that it will change us in how we look at Jesus and how we lift up the name of Jesus. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray and we continue to worship you now. Amen and amen. God bless you and thank you for being here today on this Mother's Day. And I encourage you to open up your Bible with me to the book of Second Peter. We're in chapter 1 of Second Peter and uh, today we continue to celebrate where we have left off uh, the last two weeks um, we, we kind of rushed our way through the first four verses of Second Peter chapter 1. And today we're going to pick up right there with uh, verse 5. And so if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open it up and keep it open as we move through this text today. Uh, if you uh, need to look at the screen, we'll have the words on the screen. I'll read aloud and you follow along with me. Second Peter chapter 1, we'll pick up with verse 5. For this very reason... They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. This is God's Word for us today. Have you ever been out in the country on a very dark night where there were no street lights, And looked up at the sky and seen how bright the stars seemed to shine when you're in total darkness. Um, it's awesome to be able to see the, the handiwork of God in, in a setting that way. When darkness is so dark and you see how bright... The stars shine. Someone once said that God's promises are like stars. The darker the night, the brighter they shine. And in our culture today, in the times in which we live, there is much darkness. I'm sure you would agree. And isn't it so exciting that as believers in Jesus Christ, we get to be reflectors of the bright light that God wants to shine in this dark world which we live. In these last days, we've received great promises from God. In 2 Peter chapter 1, the last two weeks, in verses 1 through 4, we've seen that God has given us a promise. He's given us gifts of grace and peace and knowledge. He's promised us hope for our future destiny. He's promised to give us His Holy Spirit to guide us through this dark world and navigate this dark world where we don't just exist, but we truly live, we truly thrive in the darkness of this world. We recently had our 15-year anniversary Here at Palmetto Shores. And it's amazing to me at how God has blessed us through these years. Many of you, if not most of you, are here today because of God's blessing, because of the promises of God that have been fulfilled in your life through this church. And we celebrate that today. We celebrate Jesus today in the fact that He is faithful. And all of his promises are true in Christ Jesus. Peter begins verse 5 with a little phrase, for this very reason. So that means that after receiving faith and grace and peace and the knowledge of Jesus, we get to live for Jesus. (laughs) We get to live a life. We are the very reflection of Jesus in our life. We reflect Jesus, and we get to let Him shine through us. This is a promise from God. To accomplish Jesus shining through us, God has given us hundreds of promises. And so today, this passage, this portion, this very small portion of this passage, reminds us of four things that God promises, and four things about the promises of God. So let's look at them. First of all, God's promises remind you to be fulfilled in Jesus. We see that in the very first part of verse 5 of 2 Peter chapter 1. He says, For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. Now I want you to circle that word supplement and focus on that word supplement. There's nothing more important and nothing more exciting in life than knowing Jesus. I hope you understand that. I trust that you've come to that place in your life where you know Jesus and where you realize the high priority He takes in life, the high position He takes in life. Because again, there's nothing more important in life than knowing Jesus and prioritizing Him in our life. Faith is God's gift to us. You can't come to God without faith. And you can't have faith unless God gives you His faith. We talked about that two weeks ago in the very opening of this passage. And because of God's gift of faith, He He gives us many prophecies. Promises that are fulfilled to us in Jesus. In verse 4, for example, he reminds us that all of his promises, all of God's promises, are fulfilled in Christ Jesus. So you can't claim the promises of God until you come to faith in Jesus, until you receive God's gift of faith in Jesus. You can't supplement something that you don't have. In order to supplement it, you have to have it. And so living in God's promises starts by knowing Jesus. Living in God's promises starts by you having a personal, one-on-one relationship with Jesus Christ. And to live in these promises, God has a part, and you have a part. God has done His part. He's provided the promises. But we're going to see this morning, as we unpack the wealth of this passage, you have a part also that you get to do. And it's a joy to be able to be in that perspective of getting to live life in the promises of God. This phrase translated, make every effort, is one word, and it simply implies to us that we have to do our part. We don't work our way for salvation, but once we receive faith, once we receive this gift of faith, we are constantly working out our salvation. This word literally means to work alongside of. In other words, we come alongside of God, we partner with God. Jesus gives you the power and the divine nature to live in the promises of God when you become a believer, when you receive that gift of faith. But you must use that power by living life with Him. Living life with Him means that you get to be more and more and more and more like Jesus. So time out just a minute. Is that the picture of your life? Are you living in the promises of God because you have put your faith and trust in Jesus? If not, I want to challenge you to do that today. I want you to start shining for Him and living life for Him. My wife gave me a hacksaw for an early birthday present this week. A hacksaw is absolutely no good without a battery. The battery provides the power for the saw to cut through the wood. And if you don't have power in your life, then you can't shine for Jesus. You can't live for Jesus. But when you are filled with the power of Jesus, people look at you and see how Jesus acts and responds to the pressures and the temptations of life. They see how life is supposed to work. Plugged into the power source, which is your faith in Jesus. He is the power to make God's promises work in your life. I look around our world today and in our community today, and I see so many people who are frustrated because they're expecting life to work without being plugged into the power of Jesus in life. And it doesn't work that way. You can't have the power of the promises of God until you plug your life into the faith that God provides to you for you in Jesus. Maybe some of you know Jesus, but you're trying to work through life on your own power. That doesn't work either, even after becoming a believer in Christ. So two questions. Number one, what is keeping you from applying the power of God in your life today through trusting Jesus by faith? Second question. What are you prioritizing over making every effort to do your part to work out the faith that God has given you in Jesus Christ? What are you prioritizing Of making all of life about Jesus. I'm eternally grateful for my mother, who was a first generation believer in Jesus Christ. When she committed her life to Jesus, she had been down a long dark trail. And she and my dad had been married, had two boys at the time, and one on the way. And she came to faith in Jesus Christ, and it radically changed her life. It radically changed her generations to follow her. For two solid years, she prayed and prayed and prayed every day. She prayed the promises of God over the life of my dad, who was running hard away from God. And after two years, my dad finally came to faith in Jesus Christ. And then my mom continued to pray as, as uh, five boys came along and were raised in her family, and she prayed the promises of God in all of her life. In other words, the whole generation of her family changed because she made that commitment of faith in Jesus Christ and then began to pray and plug into the promises of God that she claimed in Christ Jesus, her Lord. Thirty-eight years ago, She said goodbye to this world and passed into heaven to spend eternity claiming the promises of God in Jesus Christ. That's the way this thing works. And that's why I say there is no better position in life than to give your life to Jesus, to trust him by faith. And let him change your life and let him change the generations that you affect from that day forward in your life. God's promises give peace. God's promises give power, but you can't supplement something you don't have. So you have to start with claiming the promises of God that you have by faith in Jesus. And then the promises of God remind you to be fulfilled in Jesus. Secondly, God's promises remind you to integrate life with Jesus. And again, this is where we're going to spend the most of our time this morning because we have some heavy-hitting aspects supplements to our faith that Peter introduces us to in this passage. In verses 5 through 7, he says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement. Remember now, we have that word circled. Supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love." So to access the promises of God, we have to focus our life on cooperating with God. The idea of supplementing. Supplement means to add to substance, or it's it's the word we get in English to choreography. Some of you have kids who are in dance classes, and they choreograph these, these dances. That's the picture of this word. In the first century, this word meant generous and costly cooperation. So here's the way the gospel works. I want you to get this picture in your mind as we move through this section in our message today. I want you to picture a bicycle wheel. The bicycle wheel, first of all, has the outside rim. That's faith. And that's why Peter reminds us that, uh, that, that, that faith is what opens up the door to us receiving the promises of God and living within the promises of God. So you have that picture of a bicycle wheel in your mind because we're going to build a bicycle wheel this morning. The outside rim is faith. Now, I love faith, the idea of faith. The, the acrostic for the word is something I, I just truly love. It's forsaking all, I trust Him. In other words, faith means that I fall back into the arms of God, trusting Him to catch me, trusting Him to rescue my life, to save my life. By applying his faith to my life. Um, Faith is trusting God to do what only God can do. Faith is trusting God to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. And that's save your life. Save your soul. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 10. The Bible says there is none righteous, no not one. In Romans 3.23, the Bible says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we're all in the same boat. We're born with a sin nature. And what does our sin do? In Romans 6.23, the Bible says, For the wages of sin is death. In other words, sin cuts you off from God. Cuts me off from God. So it's hopeless. I'm a sinner. All have sinned. There's no righteousness in me. I can't connect with God on my own strength. The wage of sin is death, but here's the beautiful part, Romans 6:23: "The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so through Jesus, we can be reconnected to God. Has that happened to you? Have you come to that point in your life where you have said, "God, I admit that I'm a sinner? I understand that my sin separates me from you. I want to commit my life to you. I believe that Jesus died for me. And I want to commit my life to you. Some of you need to do that today. need to ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin. And repent of your sin. Turn away from it. And then turn to Him. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10 verse 9. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. Would you do that today? Would you open up your life to faith in Jesus? I promise you, like my mom and dad and generations that have followed, your life will never be the same again because then it opens up the promises of God to be applied to your life. So faith is the starting point. Did you hear that? Faith's the starting point. It's not the end point. It's the starting point. Once we have faith then, we get to build on that faith to become more and more and more and more receptors of the power of God's promises in our life. James chapter 2 helps us understand this. The Bible says in James chapter 2 that faith without works is what? Dead. Faith without works is dead. And so what God has offered us is faith that brings life into us like nothing else. So faith is the beginning of receiving God's promises in Jesus. But then there are six supplements. And in my picture of the bicycle wheel, I want to put spokes on the wheel of that bicycle. I want to put spokes on the bicycle wheel That brings this picture to life. First of all, faith in Jesus is the wheel, And these supplements are like the spokes. Now, let me pause here for a minute. Every analogy that I could give is going to fall short in some places. So, you know, don't think that this is a perfect example. But it works in my mind, so I'm going to share it with you this morning. Peter connects. If you look at verse 5, you'll see he connects faith with virtue what is virtue well virtue means moral excellence true virtue i believe can only be found in relationship to jesus lord will and luis is going to take a group of people from our church this summer to spain they're going to spain on a mission trip well what makes this a mission trip well they're going to serve in an area where there is kind of like a hostel, a house, where travelers on the road from France to Portugal, kind of a, a trail that supposedly uh, the Apostle James traveled before his death. People travel this trail thinking they're going to get some inspiration and that kind of thing, and, and it's, it's just kind of a thing to do. Well, they serve people a hot meal... And give them a good, nice bed to sleep in. Which no other place on the trail, thousands of miles, no other place on the trail is like this. So what is the difference in that being just a good deed or a service and a ministry? Well, what makes the difference is Jesus. (laughs) They share Jesus with those travelers. They share the gospel with these travelers. And the difference in some virtue being just a good deed or being a virtue is the fact that Jesus is shared. And so Peter reminds us that as a believer in Christ who, first of all, has faith in Jesus, which is the wheel, we are connected with a spoke which gives us the opportunity to share the virtue of Jesus with people around us. Verse 5 then says, we not only supplement faith with virtue, but also with knowledge. Now, this is a big deal with Simon Peter. In fact, seven times in these three chapters, he reminds Christians that we get to grow in knowledge. Remember, Peter was living at this point in his life in his last days. Times were tough for believers during those that period of the last days and his theology had become not only experiential he had gone from being a man who turned his back on jesus and said that he didn't even know jesus to fast forward 30 years later he's giving his life for jesus times were tough during this section of peter's life His last sentence that he ever wrote that we have a record of today is in 2 Peter Peter chapter 3. The last verses say, but keep on growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to Him be the glory. So believers, every day of our life we get to grow in knowledge. That's a an understanding of the wisdom of God, that's an understanding of discernment that can only come from God that enables us to live godly lives. And we, it's, a, it's a continuing process. We get to keep on growing day after day after day. We never reach a stale point where we stop growing. In our Palmetto Shores, Shores Church uh, discipleship pathway that our staff created, we want to help believers apply godly knowledge to practical areas of our life. For example, we have a a class called um, um, Financial Peace University. Dave Ramsey. Financial Peace University is using godly wisdom to know how to manage your funds. So you know how to use your resources we also have a class that teaches us how to handle grief we have a class that teaches us how to share our faith these are ways that we grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and we get to grow our faith by making all practical decisions according to the promises of God that we have in Christ Jesus Verse 5 then tells us that we not only supplement faith with virtue and knowledge, but also self-control. And this is a big one. Self-control refers to overcoming the sinful human desires in every area of life. Believers get to grow to look more and more and more like Jesus every day. See, God wants to produce His character in you. It takes discipline and effort in order for that to happen, though. Self-control means that I know when to say yes and when to say no to challenges in this world. And again, it takes a concentrated effort. For example, self-control says, I want to get up a little bit earlier in the morning, maybe, so that I can start my day with the good news from God's Word before I'm hit in the face with the bad news from this world. I mean, that's practical. It could look like maybe pausing and saying a brief, brief prayer before actually responding to a harsh remark that your spouse may make towards you or some work associate may make towards you. This is so practical. But self-control says, I want to do life God's way rather than my natural way that my nature is pulling me toward. Even after becoming a believer, that nature dog doesn't die inside of us. And constantly we need to have self-control in order to grow in our faith. Then verse 5 also says, we not only supplement faith with virtue, And knowledge and self control, but also steadfastness. What is steadfastness? Well, steadfastness is the ability to endure suffering and evil without giving up your faith in Jesus. I said before that these first century believers were being persecuted and martyred. Just a few months after Simon Peter wrote this passage, he was crucified. He lost his life for proclaiming faith in Jesus Christ. That's how much he valued Jesus. But when the persecution came, when the adversity came, he didn't turn his back on Jesus. He followed Jesus even to the cross where he died a death of crucifixion. Guess what? Adversity is going to be a part of your life. Adversity says... Welcome to the real world. We're all going to experience adversity. But steadfastness says that when I experience adversity, rather than walking away from my faith, I'm going to lean hard into my faith. God's goodness and control over what happens in my life is going to be constant, and I'm going to depend on it, even if it's not what I would have prescripted for my life. Steadfastness says, I grow in my faith through times of adversity. So let me ask you again, over the past two years, how has adversity driven you to Jesus rather than away from Jesus? I wonder how many people are drifting further away from Jesus during these times of challenge and adversity rather than running to Jesus. Steadfastness says that my faith in Jesus is growing even in the times of adversity. So now faith, the outside wheel of the bicycle, is supplemented by spokes of virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness now add another spoke. Godliness. Godliness refers to doing the kinds of things in life because they please God, because they look like God. It's having the correct attitude toward God and having the correct attitude toward other people. It's being aware of The hand of God working in all of life to mold me into His image. That's godliness. It's a lifestyle that looks like Jesus. It's a life that's empowered by God's Spirit, plugged into Jesus and God's Spirit. It starts with that right relationship with God. And then it extends to that right relationship with other people. What did Jesus say when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he said, love your neighbor as yourself. That's what godliness looks like. It looks like loving God and loving others so we look like Jesus. It starts again with that right relationship with Jesus. You have to start at the right point, knowing Jesus. And once again, if you've never made that commitment to him, make it today. Don't walk away from here without coming to know Jesus. But then understand that that relationship has to grow with faith in God and grow to reach out to your neighbor and your fellow man. Godliness is saying, we talked about this last week, I'm not God. And I'm not perfect yet. But I'm growing and looking more and more and more like Jesus every single day. I'm growing more and more and more every day in my faith by adding these supplements to my faith every day. That leads us to the last spoke in this verse. And that's brotherly affection. Brotherly affection is when followers of Jesus try to treat all people like Jesus treats people. You know what it's like maybe to be part of a family where you love each other, where you respect each other? This picture says that that's the way all people in faith, all people in Christ, ought to treat other people that same way. In First John, chap- John chapter four, first John chapter four, verses 20 and 21, John writes, "If anyone says, "I love God and hates his brother," he is a liar." For he who does not love his brother whom he has not seen, who he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must love his brother. That's what brotherly love looks like. Brotherly affection literally means that you have a concerned kindness Toward other people, even those who hate you. Even those who are not like you. Brotherly affection changes the way I pray for people. Brotherly affection changes the way I disciple people. I realize that life is not just about me. (laughs) I want to grow in my faith in Jesus So I can grab somebody else's hand and help them grow in their faith in Jesus. Brotherly affection keeps me from criticizing people. When when I see somebody make a bad choice. Rather than criticizing them. Rather than gossiping about them. Rather than putting them down. I reach my arms around them to love them. And pick them up and restore them to the place where they were before. Brotherly affection creates in me an attitude that drives me to want to encourage people just like Jesus was an encourager. So that's the picture of the spokes that I have chosen to define as spokes on a wheel in verse 5 but there's one more ingredient in this picture isn't there? It's the part of the tire that goes, that goes on the wheel. It's the tire that goes on the wheel. The outside part of the wheel. It's the ingredient that can only come from God. You can't manufacture it on your own. It's what Simon Peter calls love. And this is the kind of love that causes you to give yourself away expecting nothing back in return. That's the picture of love. It means that you are willing to put the needs of other people before your own needs. To serve other people before being served. And once again, it's something you can't manufacture on your own. It's something that God gives you from His heart. Because the Bible says again, John says this over and over again, God is love. And you connect with that love through faith but then where the rubber meets the road, the wheel on that faith is love God's love working its way out through your life. So God's promises remind us to integrate our life with Jesus. That's the only way life will work. That's the only way life is supposed to work. Thirdly, God's promises remind you to generate growth through Jesus. Generate growth through Jesus. We see that in verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing. They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful. In the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So these qualities get to be part of every believer in Jesus Christ. So as we looked at those eight qualities. Beginning with faith and wrapped up with love. And the six Supplements in between. Does that look like your life? Is that what's being generated in your life? I pray today that it is. Uh, Once we come to faith in Jesus, that's the opportunity that we begin to grow. We continue to grow. And if you want to be effective and fruitful through the struggles and the victories of life... You must make the effort to grow. You have to practice these qualities over and over and over again every day. And you get better and better and better at it as you practice them every day. Becoming a Christian is a gift from God. But being a Christian takes effort on your part. Tremendous effort. Faith in Jesus Christ leads you to make a difference in this world. And faith in Jesus Christ leads you to persevere to the end, according to this verse. So when you're attached to Jesus, He produces fruit in you. True disciples become fruitful through God's power. You don't have to produce the fruit. You have to stay connected to Jesus, and then He produces the fruit in you. And the result of your life then becomes a fruitful impact on the lives of those around you. I'm here today because um, my junior year in high school, our football team, high school football team, was undefeated. And then my senior year in high school, we only lost one game. And I was a quarterback on the team. (laughs) From the eighth grade, I started practicing football just about every day. But formally, we would come together about four days a week. And I would throw every single pass in our playbook to every single receiver on our team every single day, at least four days a week, sometimes even more than that. And so as I practiced, as I threw passes to the receivers, every single pattern to every single player every single day, they started catching my passes. I started throwing passes where they could catch them. And so my senior, my junior year in high school, Furman University offered me a football scholarship across Alabama, across Georgia, all the way to South. I would very hardly even heard of South Carolina. And I promise you I hadn't heard of Furman University. But they offered me four-year free education to come and study and play football at Furman the practice that I went through day after day after day paid off when the lights were turned on on Friday night and when the pressure of the game, you know, kind of squeezed in around us. And because of that practice, I'm here today. Came to South Carolina and virtually stayed here in in South Carolina. Practice pays off. Now, when I think about my, my life, my spiritual life, and apply these principles from 1 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 2 to my life. I want to continue to be effective and to be fruitful all the days of my life. I want to continue to grow and make the effort every day to practice, 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 and get better and better and better at taking the faith that God has given me and growing it so I can be more and more and more effective until my dying day, until I go share eternity with that precious mom of mine. Practice pays off. So generate growth through Jesus. Through Jesus. Finally, God's promises remind you to keep your focus on Jesus. Keep your focus on Jesus. Verse 9 says, For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. As I've worked through this passage this week, I've come to understand that you know, there's no excuse for me not to grow spiritually every single day. And I don't think there's any excuse for you not to grow spiritually every single day. See, spiritual nearsightedness is only looking at life through this world's perspective. You only see what's happening on this earth. You only see what's going to happen in this world. That's spiritual nearsightedness. You can't see beyond the sphere of this world. You're blind to the big picture in God's story. You have no eternal perspective. And again, that's a defeatist way of living. When you're blind to the big picture of God's story, you can't remember what it looked like for God to set you free from the slavery of your sin. You don't even remember that. Much less appreciate it. And that's why I say it's so important for us to stay focused on Jesus, to keep our eyes on Jesus, to continue to grow in Jesus. It's very important to remember where you came from. What was your life like before you became a believer? For some of you, that's today. I mean, you still haven't put your faith in Jesus. Why not? He died for you. He wants to give you abundant life. But it's also not only important to look back and remember, but it's also critically important for us to remember where we are today. And then it's also important for us to remember where we're going. The big picture, eternal perspective of this life. So I challenge you to join me in desiring to keep your eyes on Jesus, past, present and future. Let him make a generational difference in the people that surround your life by you keeping your focus, keeping your eyes on Jesus. I spent a few hours this week with my primary care doctor. Uh, he just He happens to be one of my very best friends. We have another friend who is struggling with cancer, doesn't look good for him. And my friend who's a doctor has been walking very closely down this part of the journey with our other friend who's a doctor. Well, my friend decided he was going to take a few days and get away a couple of weeks ago. And so he got on an airplane, he flew out to Colorado to spend some time with God and to spend some time just decompressing from the pressure of his medical practice in life. He got on a ski slope. And he started down the ski slope. And he decided that he wanted to. Do off trail skiing. So he started out through the woods. You'd have to know this guy. I mean he's that kind of guy. So he started out through the woods. And before he realized it. Before he knew it. He came to this big red sign. That said stop. Stop. You have passed the point of no return. Call this number immediately. I wonder how many people are here today and God has a big stop sign in front of your life saying, stop! You've reached the point of no return. It's time for you To call for help. Call this number. (laughs) J-E-S-U-S. Jesus. Call on Jesus today. And even if you've come to the point where you know Jesus, that sign still may be there. Maybe you have skied off the, the trail of the spiritual life, of the Christian life. And maybe that stop sign is there God is saying to you it's time for you to get back on the Mark trail it's time for you to get back in step with the clear prescription that I've shown you for living in God's promises for working out your faith have you lost your direction in life have you lost your perspective have you come to that dead end if so Call Jesus today. Give your life to Jesus today. Because God may be calling you to get on the pa- get on the trail and to stay on the trail, the well-marked trail that He's paved for us. I mentioned earlier our discipleship pathway. Our staff got together early this year, at the end of last year, early this year, and carved out a discipleship pathway so you can know where you are in your spiritual journey at any point and you can get on God's path from wherever you are. Um, this, this spiritual journey starts with just uh, connecting with us. Connecting with us through the info card or, or through telling somebody that you, you, know, you want to get on the path. And then after you have uh, connected with us through the info card... You begin to build relationships at maybe one of our uh, lunches that we have for, um, you know, guests. uh, People who are new to our church, Newcomers Lunch. Or you plug into uh, the the membership class or the um, follow-up to the conversation of the membership class. And you get involved with connecting with Jesus. See, our purpose here is not to make you join our church. Our purpose here is to lead you to Jesus. And then follow Him. And everything that happens after that can be a pathway to you growing and growing and growing more and more and more in your relationship with your faith in Jesus. I encourage you to pick up one of those discipleship pathways before you leave when you go through the lobby today if you haven't done that. Because we want you to know Jesus. And we want you to know how to serve. We want you to know how to share your life by making disciples of other people. We want to help you do that. As I wrap up today, just by way of application, there are four things that I want to make sure you know. Number one, desire to know Jesus. Do you have that desire to know Him? If not, pray and ask Him to give you that desire to know Him. And then, once you know Him, desire to follow Jesus. I challenge you to try to follow His example. It's very clear in the New Testament. Then, thirdly, desire to grow in Jesus. Grow in being effective and being fruitful for Jesus. And then ultimately and finally, desire to keep your eyes on Jesus, to keep your focus on Jesus. quickly want to finish my story about my friend he came to that stop sign that said stop call this number so he pulled out his cell phone there was no cell service (laughs) he looked up two thousand feet above him he looked down there was nothing but sketchy snow rugged rocks river streams running down the mountain But he had no choice so he started walking and for eight hours he made his way down through the dangerous gorges and crossing the river streams in his ski boots has big old gouges out of his legs where he walked down but finally he got close to the bottom and there was a mountain man there a man who lived in the mountains who pulled up in his truck and happened to see him and said what are you doing here Some of you today may hear God saying that to you. What are you doing here? Get on the path. This guy picked up my friend to make a long story short. Had to drive a hundred miles around the mountain trails to get him back to the ski lodge where he lost his way. But he was rescued. God Wants to rescue you today. If you've never met Him, let Him rescue you for the first time. Let Him save you today as you hear Him calling you and offering you His faith. If you've wandered off the trail, it's not too late. Let Him rescue you and bring you back on the path. Back on the path to knowing Him. Making all of life about Him. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. God, I pray today that not one person will leave here. Without hearing your Holy Spirit, speak to our heart, And give us an obedient mindset to say, God, bring me back onto your path. Bring me into your life. Help me to make all of life about you so that the craziness of this world can only be a pathway that leads me closer and closer to you. In Jesus' name now, we continue to worship. Amen.